0: I think Islam hates us. They have done nothing except wreak havoc and terror for our faith and and our religion. we, when we stand up to those who oppress our communities, that Allah accepts from us that as a form of jihad. Foundations of society are fragile. We must be the shepherds of our own civilization.
1: Anyone answers either yes or
0: no without making necessary distinctions, both are not telling the truth. They're lying. Father we pray that your word will become a hammer that breaks rocks into pieces that you will raise up in this nation pulpits and prophets that will call the nation back to repentance. Will you distance yourself from those who think differently or will you join us at the table and talk about what is really important? This is the Maeda initiative conversation
1: without compromise. those of you, for those who haven't met you before, what's your job? What's your background?
0: Uh, so I was uh, born in Denver, raised in Seattle. I uh, went to high school here, went to college here. And then in about 2009, I left for South Africa. Uh, I joined a seminary program there and I returned in 2015. Spent the bulk of it in South Africa. And then the last few months I went to Zambia Um, Now, since I've been back, you know, I was always involved in the Muslim community growing up, uh, very involved with the MSA and and whatnot. Um, And since I came back, I've been part of uh, Mihrab Foundation, which is a organization that basically just caters to the larger, focusing primarily on the Muslim community, but just, you know, the larger greater Seattle community, um, trying to mentor the youth uh, as well as just disseminate knowledge uh, and help the Muslims, especially dealing with a demographic that's largely like uh, immigrant, immigrant parents. uh, But the kids are born and raised here like myself. Um, And just, you know, contextualize and kind of bring everything together. They have a lot of questions and things like that. Culturally, there's gaps between them and their parents and whatnot. So trying to take what I got from the seminary, bring it back here and and translate that to the community.
1: It's interesting because I noticed um, because to make this series of episodes, I basically called or visited every masjid in the greater Seattle area at this Uh point. Yeah. And there actually don't seem to be that many English speaking. Right. English-speaking, right. Um, leaders. Yeah. Here. Yeah. I was really, really surprised by that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, so the Seattle community itself is much younger than uh, newer, as, a, as I guess would be a more appropriate word than some other communities around the country. So like you got Chicago, New York, um, Dallas. They These are much older communities, meaning like Muslims have been there for uh, especially the immigrant Muslim community has been there for much longer than in Seattle. Uh, So there's it's easier to find in those places, uh, particularly Chicago, like Chicago is kind of known as like, you know, amongst the Muslim community, like the hub of uh, Muslim scholarship and whatnot. Um, But in the Seattle area, yeah, I mean, really, we've only had actual like true scholarship um, as far as within the main communities for really over the last like 20 years. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And both uh, both of them or all of them were immigrants as well. Right. Some of them you know one particular imam, he was he's from South Africa as well, so you know he's a fluent English speaker um the others English was a second language for them, so it's it it is harder to find here and that that was one of the reasons that kind of motivated me to go and study as well uh to go study and join a seminary
1: yeah that's that's really that's really fascinating again i probably i probably you know, two hands full of people who are not even sheikhs right we're talking right. imams right who are sort of english as their sort of main language yeah. communication i was very surprised by that
0: right right
1: and especially especially when you're talking about things at this kind of like level you've got to have a grasp of language to be able to communicate to people yeah
0: exactly exactly yeah so that's, that's been some of the challenges in the in the muslim community particularly in the seattle area um that you know i mean i grew up with uh, the imam of our masjid not speaking english uh, and being an immigrant I connected and maybe that was just me, you know, um, I, I connected or I understood kind of, you know, how to navigate that and what he was saying and whatnot. Um, but many others, they just, because a person doesn't speak English, even if they can communicate to them, they, they naturally just feel like a sort of being distant from them or a gap. And so, you know, that's where we try to come in and, and say, Hey, like, this is what's going on. This is how we need to do things. And there are cultural differences and understandings that take place as well. Right.
1: Yeah. So how much? So I've heard the figure of like one hundred and fifty thousand Muslims in the Greater Seattle area.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, that's probably that's probably about right. Yeah, I'm really not
1: sure where anyone gets that information, but it seems that seems realistic. Yeah. So between those one hundred and fifty thousand people, yeah, probably got less than fifteen English speaking.
0: Right. Right, I mean, you've got imams and all the different masjids, right? But most of them. But like you said, there's a difference between an imam and a scholar. An imam is just somebody who's going to like lead the prayer, be the kind of community leader, and sometimes those people speak uh, English fluently, and many times they don't. Um, and then, so you're you're looking at you know those type of community leaders, and then you're looking at scholarship, which is even more difficult to come by. <laughs> right, right, right,
1: right. So talking of awkwardly transitioning from one theme to another here hmm. uh, talking about taking high level concepts and translating them what we're talking about here really is very close to the core of the differences between Islam and Christianity right yeah so we're talking about tawhid and the Trinity yeah so let's hear from you or how you would sort of pitch the idea of tawhid or you pronounce it um, yeah. Tawid, yeah. Okay. Uh, wasn't too bad yeah. <laughs> if, if, I've, I've butchered Arabic words far worse than that one um, <laughs> um and so give give us the sort of like um sort of like long elevator pitch right let's say you're going to a tall building at a on the pitch of a small elevator that lasts about 15 to 20 minutes (laughs) and you're explaining taqweed to somebody
0: yeah okay so um you know part of the beauty of it of uh studying and, and studying the quran and the sayings of the prophet muhammad peace be upon him is that you it's you find what's there and what um what reaches out to people that are at all different levels, right? So you've got individuals that are very basic in their understanding um, and the intellectual and deep discussion won't really suit them, right? They're maybe not interested in it or whatever the case may be. But then those same concepts, you can go much deeper and it really challenges and and stimulates people that want to have that really deep and intellectual understanding conversation. So I guess if we're going from a perspective where the assumption is a person doesn't know, pretty much anything right so the the core foundation is that Allah is one right so one of the last chapters in the Quran surah ikhlas uh the first line is "Qulhu that say Allah is one and that's it right so the core monotheistic understanding he is one without any partner without any um uh without anything, right? He is not begotten, nor does he beget, right? As the, that chapter goes on to say. And it's one of the shortest chapters in the Quran, which really highlights the simplicity of which, of how, uh, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what he wants to tell the, the listener, right? That if you really just want, what is Islam about? That's it, right? What is our theological belief? That's it in a nutshell. Um, now, of course, there's, you know, uh, as with scholarly works and, and scholastics, I mean, volumes and volumes and volumes written on, what does all this mean? So we can bring down like there's a concept about the attributes of Allah. Okay, we try to understand Allah, um, knowing that we cannot fully comprehend this divine being that is just too it's he's too majestic for us to fully comprehend him. So we 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 try to understand what he is not, and that helps us understand who he is, right? Uh, and of course, that is taken from uh, clear texts and explicit texts from the Quran or the Hadith, and then extrapolated upon and deductions are made and whatnot so we can understand that Allah is one um, and as we mentioned that means he does not have any partners um, no offspring nobody else to uh, put him into existence so on and so forth he's solely unique and and to himself Um, he exists right so what we call wujud and his existence is necessary without which the entire universe would cease to be like it wouldn't even be that it fall. It slowly falls apart, and you have this apocalyptic, you know, uh, idea, and like the images that come in our head. It just would go out, right? It's like pulling the plug, right? It's just, it's gone. So he exists. He is one. Uh, he is uh, pre-eternal, meaning he has no beginning, right? And he is everlasting, meaning he has no end. So there was never a moment that that existed where he did not exist, and he exists to himself, right? um so you so then you have uh what's it called and he is different from all of his creation right so one of the underlying principles when discussing theology in islam is the verse that says <inaudible> that there's nothing akin to him meaning that anything of his creation uh, or anything in existence that you can that can come to the human mind he is different than that now That difference might be in terms of, there might be similarities. So we say that there's similarities in terms of the names, but the essence of it is different. So for example, you know, I'm alive and, and Allah is alive, right? He lives rather. So you might say, well, there's a similarity, but the difference is my life had a beginning and my life will have an end. Whereas his living, he lives without ever having not lived. Right, so there's a similarity in in name, but not in attribute and not in essence um and that's also just because how else can the human mind, which is so deficient compared to Allah uh explain it right um so he is beginningless or or pre eternal he is uh post eternal or endless he is alive he is uh self sufficient so it has no dependence upon anything or anyone else to exist right. Um, and is not in need of anyone. If we, if the whole world was to gather against him, it wouldn't affect him. And if the whole world was to stand for him, it wouldn't affect him. Right. Um, and then that translates into like our worship and things like that as well. We worship him for ourselves. Um, and in order to obey him and fulfill his command and to please him, but he does not need our worship. Like we're the ones that need our worship. Right. Uh, and then he has uh power and he intends things he is um uh he has the the attribute of speech uh and the and when we say this because you know he refers to himself as having what's called kalam right uh in the Quran and so and that kalam means speech now that concept in and of itself is very like like what does that all entail and that's a very deep discussion and it takes you know it's it's a long discussion Um, because his speaking is not, his speech is not like our speech. Right. And because we, that other attribute that we highlighted, which was that he is different from all of his creation, right? That entails speech as well. So my speech is something that is created. His speech is non-created because any part of any attribute of God is, is non, not created. Were it to be created, that would, that would mean that the essence of God can change and And that would entail imperfection, because we say he is perfect and has always been perfect without ever not having been perfect, so he didn't have to learn anything. there was never a time that he didn't know anything um and so any change to his essence would then be uh w- would entail a limitation on him, and he is transcendent beyond any limitation um but he has the attribute of divine speech um to hear to see. Uh, and, um, and he is unique in, in all of his attributes to himself. So that's basically our theology, like in a nutshell, right? And you can separate that it's, it's categorized by those things which are necessary. So what is necessary is his existence is necessary. Those things which are intellectually impossible to the human mind, right? So for example, um, uh, uh, him having like a bodily form, right? Because a bodily form entails limitation um or him not having the ability the, the attribute of speech because that would entail imperfection and deficiency right um and then also these concepts about like you know oftentimes uh you get, and i'm sure you guys get might get these types of questions as well that well can he uh if if he's all powerful then can he exist can he can he take himself out of existence can he take a create a rock that he cannot lift things like that so we say look those are those are in the realm of impossibilities, meaning um, those are, are are things of a ridiculous nature that could never come into existence, right? And it's a catch-22, really, right? The question is set up to be a catch-22. Mm-hmm. No matter what you say, you are showing a deficiency to him, right? So we say, well, those things are, we have no problem in saying those are considered impossibilities because they are impossibilities in the sense that they they could never, ever come into existence, Right. Um, And then those things which are possible. So the three categories are which are necessary, possible and impossible. Right now, what the way I try to explain it is I say there's things that have an existence um, and what and there's existence from our perspective. So like you and I are in existence from our perspective, right? The cup of water is in existence. Then there's that which is in existence. But we don't know that it's in existence because God has not brought it into existence yet. And then there's that which could never, ever come into existence, like the rock that he could not lift, like a second God, right? That is as powerful as himself, Mm -hmm. right? So those things could never come into existence. And those are the things that truly don't exist, right? And everything else is, you know, it either exists in, from our perspective in that God has brought it into the temporal world, or he has not brought it into the temporal world yet. Um, And so, uh, yeah, I guess that's in a nutshell.
1: So, so, um, he talks about things like uh, bodily form and speech being, you know, impossible to the human mind. But curious, what? Why is it that the human mind and its what it seems possible or impossible would be something we factor into um, acknowledging our sort of theology of have got?
0: So it's it's well how can the human mind um truly encompass what he is right so we're looking at what are attributes of perfection and what are attributes of deficiency so like to not have speech right and and he and and the basis of all of it is the Quran right and the those sayings of the prophet muhammad that have reached the highest levels of of authenticity right so um, first of all, the Quran has to be the basis. Now you have attributes that are mentioned in the Quran. So for example, speech, right? Like he says, um, Musa that Allah spoke to, to prophet Moses, right? Okay. What does that mean? Is it like mine? And is it how you and I speak and that we have a sound? So if there's a sound, right? How did, how did Moses actually hear him speak, uh, hear the speech of God, right? Um, and so, uh, a sound entails a beginning and an ending, and because God is beginningless and endless his we say he has the attribute of speech, but it's not like our speech right and our speech can be limited our speech can come to an end uh, so on and so forth so the realm of exactly how it is that is uh to that is left up to up to God, and we might not have we, we can't possibly like encompass and, and bring all of that into our understanding right but he has those attributes mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah yeah
1: so um so I think this is a good this is a good sort of transition point for for the elevator is going down now. We reach the top. Wrong building. Yeah, we're going down the elevator now. Yeah. Um So, uh, I, I think, I think first and foremost, I think one thing that Orthodox Islam and Orthodox Christianity have in common is this idea of revelation. Yeah. Right. That we understand God not because we can kind of deduce him, um, although there's certainly part of us that recognises that. The main understanding of God comes from His actual revelation of Himself through, right. through prophets, through His His yeah. own speech. Right. So, I think what what I want to do here mm-hmm. is I want to kind of show you some of the kind of building blocks of, uh, what Christians believe God is, through the history of the prophets. Mm-hmm. So, if you if you go to the very beginning of the Bible, the mm-hmm. first chapter of the Bible, literally the opening words are, "In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth." Mm-hmm the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have two attributes of God mentioned off the get go. You have, uh, you have his creative ability and you also have his spirit uh, interacting in the world as well. When you get to Genesis three, sorry, this is all Genesis one. It says God, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on earth. Now this is a bit of a tangent. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to ask you this question in the office about the image of God, uh, because I'm curious what you have to say about this. <laughs> um, put a pin in that, come back to that later. Right. So God says, let us create man in our image. And there's a plurality of language used there. But then another thing you hear in Genesis 3, uh, when Adam and Eve have sinned, it says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So right in Genesis, you have this spiritual existence of God, mm-hmm. yet you also have him actually walking through the garden of Eden. That, mm-hmm. into the, To the extent it makes a sound that Adam and Eve can actually hear. Mm-hmm. And this theme keeps getting sort of extrapolated on. So, one thing, when Abraham himself is uh, waiting for his, uh, you know, when his wife is not pregnant and God has promised him he's going to be the father of many nations, it said, the Bible says this, says, And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and behold, three men were standing in front of him, when he saw them, he ran to the tent door and met them and bowed himself to the earth. And he said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. So the, what the narrative of the Torah is saying is that God physically appeared to Abraham in human form. Mm-hmm. And then Abraham actually invites him into his tent. Mm-hmm. And then God actually himself sits down and has a meal with Abraham. Right mm-hmm. Now, we don't, that's not how, the description of god starts but it is something that works its way into the narrative very very quickly right -hmm. so it's not that god is a man by nature Mm -hmm. or like or like exists in a body normally but you see this sort of taking of human form in genesis and then again uh you have later on jacob who's renamed israel It says, The same night he arose and took his two wives, his female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the fort of Jabok. And he sent them across the stream, everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name place Peniel for saying, for I've seen God face to face and yet my life has been delivered. Mm -hmm. So the idea of the narrative here again Mm -hmm. is you have God taking physical form and actually wrestling with Jacob. And it's not that he couldn't win that, right? Mm -hmm. He 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 has to do is touch his hip and it's dislocated. Mm -hmm. Yet Jacob is amazed that he's seen God face to face. And then Mm -hmm. the name Israel Mm -hmm. comes from that. It literally means to, to wrestle with God. Um, Then, and then when, and then when God first appears to Moses, we don't get a physical form this time. We instead have him speaking from a burning bush. Mm -hmm. Um, and God, Moses goes to see what, why this bush is on fire, but the leaves aren't burning. And then God speaks to him. And he says, I am the God of your ancestors, Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then Moses, God sends Moses to go to Egypt to deliver the people out of slavery. And the Bible says, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. So there we have the kind of biblical equivalent to the Lemuelah, the Mule, right? This kind of like self-existent language. Mm -hmm. He just is, right? He always exists as this. Um, Then later on in, in Exodus, right? The... Moses goes to Egypt. There's plague sent upon the Egyptians. The people of Israel go free. And they come back to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, God, a, a huge black cloud comes above the mountain. And people, people sort of hear God's voice speaking to Moses out of, out of the mountain. Mm. They hear words. But then it was not just Moses that sees God. It says, it says this in Exodus 24. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu... And 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Mm-hmm. So the elders of Israel are, again, seeing God. But that's not... But then, but then further on, it, it becomes... Um, even more confusing, right? The the Bible sets up these categories for us, mm-hmm. which are, what, what exactly is going on here? So in the same chapter here, um, in Exodus 33, later on, uh, it says, now Moses used to take up the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far from the camp. And everyone who sought the Lord, as God, would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. So right there you have Moses speaking with the Lord face to face. Then later in the chapter, uh, it, it says... In 18, it says, Moses said, please show me your glory, speaking to God. And he said, I'll make all my goodness pass before you. and will proclaim to you my name, the Lord, and I'll be gracious to whom I be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. So on the one hand, right? Earlier mm-hmm. in the chapter, Moses is seeing God face to face and as a man speaks to his friend. Right. Yet again... He cannot see his face and live, right? right? So essentially, what has to be happening here is that God is sort of uh, interacting with people in a way that they can actually access Him, mm-hmm. right? The no one's, none of these things represent God's true glory and majesty. Mm-hmm. They represent the ways He is actually interacting with His creation. Um, so, uh, so in one sense, right, you see. Again, people cannot see God face to face, yet they speak with God face to face. They wrestle with God. God visits Abraham in his tent. So there's something specific going on here. Mm -hmm. Another theme you have, which we saw in Genesis 1, is the spirit of God, right? Right. Which is God himself dwelling inside of people. Mm -hmm. So when David, who we both agree is a prophet, uh, is writing his kind of like final words, Mm -hmm. he says it this way. He says, Um, in Second in Samuel twenty three two, he says, "The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me; His word is on my tongue." Mm-hmm. And this is a general theme throughout this part of the Bible that you see the prophets; they become prophets by God Himself filling people with His Spirit, and then that gives them the ability to speak. Right? So, when somebody's a prophet, it's because God's Spirit is inhabiting them and speaking on God's behalf um in the time of david also mm-hmm. we see a very interesting description of god in one of the psalms uh, it's writing about the messiah right which is the sort of anointed messiah means anointed one yeah. in the bible and it says it says this in psalm 45 it says in your majesty ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness let your right hand teach you awesome deeds your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Your throne, O oh God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So, in Psalm 45, you have this language of God anointing the Messiah as God. Now that language sounds strange, especially because there's a repeated emphasis throughout all the scriptures about monotheism. There's only one God. Mm-hmm. All the gods of the nations are false. The the sort of main creed of Israel is it goes Shema mm-hmm. Yisrael, Yahweh, Yahweh El Yahweh Echad. Here, Israel, the Lord is God. The Lord is one. Yet you have this language in the Psalms, which are considered scripture by the Jews and Christians and uh, Muslims, I believe. Yeah you have this description of God being anointed God, yeah. right? So the, right? So the Messiah called divine. So the, this theme of God keeps getting extrapolated in this way throughout, the, throughout the, the prophets. So again, in the prophets, in the prophet Isaiah, we have this description of people seeing God. Where it says in Isaiah 6, it says, In that year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Mm-hmm. So again, these theme- these themes are there. Um, but with kind of what you were saying, um, ho- the word holy in Hebrew means set apart, right? Mm-hmm. And, wh- and the way to emphasize something in Hebrew is by repeating it. Okay. And the only word that is repeated in the Bible three times in a row is the word holy, holy, holy right mm-hmm. here, because that is God's primary attribute. That yeah. He is distinct from anything else in all of existence, that yeah. He is He's set apart. So we again we see that absolute monotheism and set apartness here. Yet, um in this promise of this coming Messiah, mm-hmm. right, we see it we see his theme in Isaiah chapter nine which says the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light for those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them, a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy of the harvest. And they lie when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff of, for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian um, for every boot of the trampling warrior in battle, tumult every garment rolled in blood. We have burned as fuel for the fire. That's just talking about freedom from oppression, right? Yeah. Why? Um, verse six for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So this child going to be born is going to be called mighty God. In Hebrew, that's El Gibor, God who is mighty. Mm-hmm. Um and then later on, we continue to see these this language about God and his spirit. In 48 verse 16, it says, And now the Lord has sent me and his spirit. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. So we see God in heaven. We see God the spirit and we see This child called Mighty God in in the prophets. Then the the language it uses early on for God is the one who is high and lifted up, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And then later on, it uses the same language to talk about God's servant. It says, "Behold, my servant shall act wisely; he shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted." What it goes on to describe here is that God's servant is rejected by people that he's killed. He pours out his soul to death and then returns from death. Um, we don't have time to read through the whole thing now. Um, but then later on, it describes God again, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, uh, It says, and he should said, uh, um, fifty-seven, fifteen. it says, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, right? So, mm-hmm. Two characters are called high and lifted up. There's one, there's this eternal God that inhabits eternity. Then you have this servant who suffers for the sake of his people. So who's it talking about here? Well, let's see. Thus is the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of contrite. So it's talking about God who both is unapproachable dwelling in eternity who cannot be approached or come near mm-hmm. yet god who dwells very near with those who are broken who are humble who need help right, right. he's both distant and near um we continue to see the theme of the holy spirit it says the spirit of the lord is upon me because the lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. hearted that's isaiah 61 so again the spirit of God resting on people, dwelling in people is what gives people the ability to speak in God's name. Um, So, so we, as you see in the old Testament, right? We have all these things that are kind of hard to put together, right? How can God both be high and unapproachable? How can he rest on people in spirit form and how can he appear to people physically, right? Mm -hmm. Those things seem to be difficult to work together. so as christians we fundamentally believe that in the new testament that's where we start to understand how these things fit together okay right so um we fundamentally believe that god is god reveals himself as father and son and as holy spirit right now in the old testament in the prophets we see the sort of general themes Mm -hmm. we see the unapproachable god above everything we see the spirit that rests on people to proclaim god's word and we see god interacting um we see god interact with people right so there's three sort of three sort of main themes of that Mm -hmm. right so in the new testament we believe that's where god shows us uh, where they are so jesus um claims to be the son right Mm -hmm. this god who has entered into creation and philippians written by the apostle paul Um, says it this way. It says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was... Hang on, the pages are stuck together. (laughs) Um, Although he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the reason I'm going there first, right, is because I don't want to give the impression that by believing Jesus is God the Son, Mm -hmm. we believe that God and a woman produced an offspring right, right. Yeah. so the idea is that right from the beginning you've seen god existing in this in this mode and jesus himself says it this way right so with the premise with the, with the background here that jesus has entered into creation as a servant right that he didn't grasp his status and and temporarily gave that up to in order to sort of rescue people jesus says this in John 5:19 he says truly truly i say to you the son can do nothing of his own accord but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does that the son does likewise for the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel for as the father raises the dead and gives them life so also the son gives life to whom he will the father judges no one but he has given all judgment to the son though all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He has not come into judgment but has passed from death um, to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here where the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who will hear and live. For as the Father has life in himself, Um, people pick up um, stones to stone him, mm-hmm. and uh, the reason they're stoning him is because you, a man, make yourself equal to God. Yeah. Um. So, whatever the nuance of those words mean, right? Fundamentally, yeah. in that passage, Jesus is claiming to be the judge on Judgment Day, mm-hmm. right? Only God is judge right. in any in any major worldview. Um. Here's, here's another instance where Jesus talks about his relation to the Father. Um, he says this in John 14. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and will take you to myself. That where I may be, uh, where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you will love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will send you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of Truth, who the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Right. So here we see all those themes. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So when we so as Christians, when we look at the life of Moses, mm-hmm. when he sees God face to face, yet cannot see God face to face, this is what we believe is fundamentally going on. We believe he's interacting with the person of the, the, the eternal son, mm-hmm. right? Who is who functions as God's representative, right? Who even who kind of enters into creation to be this accessible form of God that we can interact with. Mm-hmm. even It's not that the Son exists as a man eternally, yeah. right? but that he comes into creation, interacts with creation, so that people can know him. right? Yeah. So we see the Father called God, the Son called God, and the Holy Spirit called God.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then in Matthew 28, when Jesus is risen from the dead and sends people into the nations, he says it this way, he says go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So um, very important distinction here in the original language it says in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Mm. It's not the names of the Father the Ho- Son and the Holy Spirit they all share the same name. Yeah. Right. So the way so essentially right Christians receive this revelation throughout the scriptures, mm-hmm. that we see God described in these different ways, and we have to reconcile all those, right? Yeah. And so the first non-negotiable for us is that there is one God, and there's only one God. Right. Um, so there's only one being of God, right? So we make a distinction between being and person, right? Yeah. So a person is what you are, right? Um, Omer is who you are, yeah. right? So you are one being and one person. Right. We believe that God is one being in three persons, right? Mm-hmm. So the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, who all exist co-eternally together, mm-hmm. um, sharing the one being of God. Yeah. Um, and the other important distinction in this is that there is a distinction made between the persons, right? So it's not just God taking on different forms, right? He's not just wearing different masks. So when yeah. I interact this way, I'm you know, the, the Son. When I interact this way, I'm the Father they're actually distinct persons so mm-hmm. that so Jesus speaks with his father right that's why Jesus prays because right. this eternal relationship they've had as persons of the one being yeah simply continues when he's on earth yeah um so these three um three persons of god share the one being share one name of god and we believe that's eternally how they've existed right and again this isn't something we do through math right this is something we believe god has spoken therefore right. we kind of have to Right. We, ha- we have to kind of categorize it as as he's done. That's right. and that is the doctrine of the Trinity.
0: Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, so when it comes to Islam and the Quran and whatnot, so we we look at the prophets and messengers um, and their relationship with God as servants, right? So master and servant, um, and so like where you would say like father and son, we would we would take as master and servant, basically, right? Master and slave master. And we're all slaves of God. We're all his creation. Um, And then the spirit, the concept that we have of the spirit is that of the angel, Archangel Gabriel, right? That he was the one that would often. Sometimes God would speak um, uh, directly to his different prophets and messengers. And sometimes it was through uh, the Archangel Gabriel that he would come and manifest. Um, And so in the Quran in our theology, we look at um, certain texts of the Qur'an or certain texts of the hadith, the sayings of the Prophet Muhammad, and if there seems to be something through language might be a contradiction, then it will be given a metaphorical interpretation, right? Uh, Now, we don't jump to, like, we will try to take texts literally, um, as long as it is not going against any foundational principles, in which case then it needs to be taken uh, metaphorically, right? And Allah mentions in the Quran how there are certain texts that are very straightforward and very simple. And there are certain texts that he has left uh, with a little bit of ambiguity and the true meaning of which is to himself, right? Um, and so, for example, um, you know, like, like I had mentioned before that the attributes, we say we share them in name, but not in reality, With God, right? So the concept of speech or hearing and sight, so on and so forth. We can do all those things, but it's different in the way that God uh, does them or has those attributes. Knowledge, for example, our knowledge is through observation. Now he has knowledge, but our knowledge is learned and his knowledge is eternal. Whereas and creation comes from his knowledge, whereas our knowledge comes by observing that which he has created. Right. Right. Um, and so there will be metaphorical interpretations, things like that. So for example, like uh, one of the uh, texts that you mentioned the, about um, knowing knowing Jesus and so thereby knowing God, right? Uh, we would un- interpret a text like that to mean that because they are the close servants and messengers of God uh, and we distinguish between prophets and messengers, like a technical difference. Um, and we say that like the Prophet Muhammad, the Prophet Jesus... Moses, they were uh, messengers, and a me- messenger is of a higher level than a prophet, but um, because they were God's chosen servants, so now you, by knowing them, you know the path of God. you know what God wants of you because they are the ones that are teaching that and being the guide for humanity on earth right so those are, that's how we would look at these types of texts right of uh, well is it does it make sense with everything else, so for example, uh, God manifesting himself into uh, a human form. We would say, well, in according to Islamic theology, the principle you have of la right. ilaha that He is not like anything uh, of His creation, uh, that doesn't that wouldn't seem to match up, right? Therefore, we would say, uh, and also taking like form, bodily forms, I understand like you're saying it's like manifestations, right? Right. So we also say manifest, there There's definitely manifestations of God all throughout His creation, right? As a matter of fact, like in Arabic, the word for a sign is an ayah, right? And every verse of the Quran is called an ayah, right? So like every verse is a sign for God's existence and his power and, and his divinity. And so like that, the closer a person is to God and more uh, focused on God, you can see his manifestation throughout all of creation, right? Not not only through like, okay, let's sit down and read like a religious book, right? But all throughout creation, you see his, his manifestation, right? Um, so that those things are manifestations as opposed to god himself like physically himself being the spirit that is in something or so on and so forth so we have that like metaphorical and literal approach
1: so let me uh let me respond to that but first we're out of time for the show okay so anyone who wants to keep continue listening to this conversation can do so right now uh join us for the after show i just wait for this video to end there'll be a link to it um and so thank you guys for listening to the almeida initiative podcast we will be back next week